Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right. Good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So today we're going to have some fun, as we always do. Uh, as a reminder to our newer listeners, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. And I love bringing on new guest co-hosts. That's right. It's not all about me. It's actually about all of my new friends that I meet online who join this show and help me co-host this show and tap deeper into what they bring to the table. So obviously, I'm a geek about health. I'm a geek about business and entrepreneurship. And I'm definitely a geek about lifestyle balance. So without further ado, let me give you a little intro on our guest co-host today. She's a food addiction coach. That's right, people. We're going to dig into food. We're going to dig into addiction, maybe a little psychology along the way, maybe talk about some travel uh, fun. Who knows? But she's a food addiction coach and recovering food addict who has devoted her life to speaking, writing, and coaching on this truly debilitating disease. Uh, she's got an intense passion, people, and she's raising awareness to help others come from her own struggle with food. So there's a little bit of a relationship being built here. And she sought treatment at the age of 21, but sadly it was ineffective. I've heard of this time and time again. Finally, at the age of 45, she's, and she's young, by the way, she learned, because I'm in my 40s, <laughs> she learned of her severe addiction to sugar and flour. We've talked a lot on this show about that. And the addictive culprits of her insane obsession and compulsion to eat. So without further ado, Jennifer Alembic, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited because I actually got your name right. So it just, yeah, it's just the little so things good. in life, you know? Like, that's what excites <laughs> me. So, when, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I guess people's names beforehand. And I know nowadays you can Google it and Google gives you a pronunciation. But I like to take a spin at it. And I try and respect my co-hosts. try and get the name right when we do the intro. And it's always exciting when I get it the first time. So, I was happy. So. You did. But, but so, uh, let, let's, let's, let's tap in a little bit here. You're clearly... And personally passionate about this little subject around food and addiction. So I'm a nutritional nut. I've had lots of biologists and doctors and researchers, scientists, all kinds of gurus, psychology, psychologists, psychiatrists. We've, we've tapped it all. So how do you like to come across to people learning about you? What Besides your wonderful intro, and obviously your personal story being tied in here, but when people see Jennifer— what do they want to know that you're out there to kind of help them with? You know what? I know their story. It's wonderful to be a therapist and, and read all the books. It's wonderful to be a scientist and learn all the science, but you haven't lived it. I lived it. And that's where I can make the difference because when we're talking food addiction or addiction of any kind, there's a tremendous amount of shame that comes with it. Um, there's a lot of like addiction. We lie. We don't tell you the truth about what we're eating. So you know how many stories I've heard of. I went to the nutritionist and, you know, I told her basically what I eat. Of course, you didn't tell her about your binge that you had. I actually had somebody come. To, they told me a story that they went to the hospital. They ate so much and got so physically ill that they had to go to the hospital and doctors were doing tests after test after test. Do you think she ever told them? that she had a massive binge, she was too embarrassed mm. to tell the truth. And of course she was discharged. There was nothing wrong with her. She just had massive like sugar coma, heart indigestion, the whole thing, because she just ate so much. 
Oh, I guarantee you her gut bacteria, her gut biome was all jacked up. I mean, of course. And what are they going to do? Give you an antacid. I mean, <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is just like you said, the gut bacteria, we have all these buzzwords now when we are learning so much in the science world, but it does not matter to an addict who's got to have that bite, mm -hmm. who's got to have that drink or that drug, whatever it is. But food is a serious issue. As you know, I know you spoke to somebody recently about type two diabetes. Yeah. It, it is a pandemic, not just epidemic in this country. It is worldwide. We have obesity worldwide. It is affecting our children worldwide. I mean, we have a serious issue here. I personally and connect on it. My father lives with it. So the yeah. root cause is food. Mm -hmm. That is the root cause and how we're eating and there, there's so many, there's a plethora of issues of why we have food addiction. Mm -hmm. And most people, they don't like the word addiction and they don't identify it with, but I guarantee you were, if I got a hold of you for three months and we reworked your lifestyle and your food and your mindset and everything, you'd realize, wow, I didn't realize how much food, sugar and flour was affecting my life and processed foods. Well, and this has been queued up many times in this show and spoken about is the, not just the psychology, we'll just, let's make it even simpler. The brain mm -hmm. is, depending on who you talk to, 60, I, I go with 80% fat tissue, right? So we, we love to preach the power of healthy fats. But the addictive component of our wonderful brain is it loves and will crave sugar if you give it to it. And that is the addiction you're discussing, correct? Yes, yeah. but there is difference. You know, the, first of all, the range of food addicts, there's a huge you know, spectrum. Okay. So I would say because sugar and flour is in most of our processed foods that most people are have a level of addiction to it, but that doesn't mean that they can't, they can't live without it. There's a difference. There's a, there's a line that addicts cross that they have to have it. They need it. They obsess about it when they're going to get their next hit, when they're going to eat, do they have enough? I, I, I like where we're going here. We, let's, let's yeah, let's pause on this. I like this. So, because let's be real. I mean, I, I live, my, my, my client, uh, Vinny Tortorich, he owns a trademark NSNG, no sugar, no grains. I live that lifestyle. Uh, I was out last night with friends after mountain biking. I enjoyed a beautiful, you know, bacon and cheese and, and burger bunless, you know. And then my buddy, I've never asked him to do this. All of a sudden, he decides to order a sandwich that was bunless. And I was like, oh, good for you. you don't, don't do it for me, do it for you. Um, but, and then my wife will sit right next to me and she'll order the, uh, the Buffalo chicken dip or whatever. Right. And, and, but it comes with bread and she'll order veggies for me and then sit there and eat it with the bread. <laughs> so, but here's the thing to your point. And she said, she's like, I'm sorry, I love bread. So there's a, it's a very fine line there. I like where you're going here is that she does. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends do, and I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to set my example and be done with it. If people want the answer, I'll give it to them. But in this situation you're referring to, people love bread. Yes, there's an addictive component there. But to your point, it's addictive. But are you an addict? So where's the separation there? Because you being the addiction coach, obviously, and per your you website, froze. which I'm going to screen There share. is a separation. And the yeah. separation is when, sure, people love the sweet stuff. They love the savory. They love their bread. That does not make them an addict. Mm -hmm. Addiction is characterized. Why do you say characterized? Why oh, did we lose you, Jen? 
Are you there? What happened there, ladies and gentlemen? Let me pause the feed here. And we're back. This is the beauty of technology. Um, Zoom, I love you normally, but seriously, come on, guys. So anyway, guys, we were just talking about that fine line on addiction. My apologies, Jennifer. Um, this is the power of the Internet and you and I volunteering our time to the worldwide masses. And But in the end, our free time is spent and based on technology. <laughs> so anyway, back to the show. Um, so you're about to clarify that fine line. Where are we yeah. at? There's a very, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, just really having a sweet tooth, loving your bread and enjoying a great meal and crossing over to where you need it. You have to have it. You want it all the time. You obsess about it. So addiction is characterized by an obsession with food an obsession with weight and loss of control over the amount eaten. That's really the definition. So it really isn't about body size. It's about what goes on in here. You know, there are some women that weigh themselves 10 times a day. They are completely obsessed with their weight. They're counting calories. They're probably at the gym several hours a day. I mean, there's so many ways it manifests, but, and you know, like I said, like we talked about, everybody has a little bit, like if I detox everybody, you know, if I took a group of random 40 people and got them off sugar and flour, people are going to get headaches. They're going to Jones. Oh yeah. Because it's in our bodies, it's in our system and everything we eat. That does not make them addicts. No. But people who are food addicts know that they are. Most of them. I shouldn't say all of them do. Um, a lot of the times, um, it's a hard pill for people to swallow. And because they've been living with this all their lives, it's a way of being. They know no other way than to obsess about their weight, than to... Um, you know, sometimes you ask people and the only memories they have, all their childhood memories revolve around food. Hmm. It's a very common issue with food addicts. Their whole life revolves around all their memories. This has come up before. I've, I was on my show or I listen, I listen to so many podcasts too. So I, I get them all mixed up sometimes. And, but I've heard people discuss this before where professionals, the professionals discussing this will say they, they do like to tie it back to childhood. And this isn't always, oh, a parent like body shamed you or something like that. This could be something so small that no one would realize it. Like it could be just how you were fed by a grandparent versus a parent, or you didn't realize that you were being led one way when you should have been led another way. And your parents didn't even know they were doing it that to you. Like just, it could be just a way something was said, a way something was enunciated. It's all these little variables. Mm -hmm. And it does come back to the, the mindset and the psychology behind this. Like some people are triggered by this stuff. And some of us like me, it just goes right over my head and, I'm not even phased by it. Like I, I joke around, I probably shouldn't joke around, but my addictive personality is like adrenaline junkie stuff. So yeah, I skydive and I race mountain bikes and I'm a former firefighter. So yeah, I've, I've channeled it, you know, into other pursuits and I would like to think a positive way. So is that some things you discuss with people too, as far as trying to not just identify the addictive issue, but then also trying to eventually help them channel that elsewhere? Um, yes, because what happens is if you are a food addict, you have, you're using food. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between eating food and eating to live and using food to cope. So you have to learn different tools and techniques so that when you are feeling major stress, which is life, you've got to learn how to calm yourself down, how to not go to the food first. 
And that takes time. That's why I don't work with anybody less than three months. Thank you. Minimum. I mean, I, I've helped people with body transformation work. I mean, non-addictive, obviously. And this is just fitness stuff because like people think it's all done with exercise. And I'm like, no, exercise is a terrible way to lose weight if you're targeting weight loss. Uh, but I tell people, you better have your goals set at minimum, bare minimum 90 days. It's yeah, really, really at least 16 weeks. Like four, four months is a solid, sustainable way to get into that transformation process. But again, I'm referring to the physical. I'm not getting into the addictive component here. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy but to hear that. the mental's even longer because when yeah. you spent a lifetime, we can get our physical fixed up pretty well sometimes, pretty fast in a good three, four, five months. Yeah. But the mental, when you've spent a lifetime going to food to soothe you, to comfort you, and you know when you're an addict, you can break a nail and eat. The wind is blowing to the west and you're going to eat. That's the way addicts are. You know, Any emotion, no matter what it is, any feeling they don't want to feel, they numb out, they eat. Um, it takes, and there's a tremendous amount of, um, we call it denial, that goes with addiction. People don't even aren't aware of how much they're using food. And that takes a, a many layers to peel back. So when I work with somebody, the, the first thing we tackle is let's get you off sugar and flour so we can start addressing all the feelings that you're uncomfortable with and show you new tools, create new habits. I'm a huge proponent of a morning morning routine mm -hmm. and a night routine. So you set your day up right. And that starts with a great night nighttime routine. And addicts don't like structure. They don't like discipline. So I implement all those things in to, to help people get balance and get their life back. When you spend your days and nights obsessing, mm -hmm about your food or your weight and all that there's there's no there's no living hmm. there's no living to be had it's a very shallow very media medi mediocre way to live and people settle for that you know you don't need to be an addict to settle for mediocre that's a good point yeah and i like how you're targeting this from a a physical to the mental because Again, I, I don't do what you do, but I, I see where you're going with this because you got to create those those initial wins. To, they got to start feeling, unfortunately, sometimes in the beginning, they're I guarantee, well, almost guaranteed most people go through a headache cycle because uh, you're going through a actual uh, chemical and hormonal withdrawal from sugars and the, and the processed flours, which is that brain addiction. And you don't realize you've been hooked on it for so long. So I like how you're targeting the physical wins first because that does tie back. And then that kind of at least gives you a bit of a foundation to start building that the mental connection that you're talking about. You have to do take care of the physical first. There is no way you're not going to get a drug addict clean and sober, sitting him in therapy while he's using. Oh God, no. That's going to do nothing. It's the same with food, except we don't think of food as like a drug. But you know, I spent years in therapy, and I was I would leave and go go to through the drive through and binge my face off because whatever I talked about was uncomfortable, brought pain, whatever. And you needed to comfort yourself. Right. Yeah. You've got to have clarity and you've got to get your mind clear and detox before you can even start the healing process. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, and that's what I preach and that is what I believe. And that is what I know to be true. Like you said, you read it in my bio, I, 21, I went to treatment. I didn't get clear and clean till I was 45. So I spent decades in therapy, eating 24 and years. just getting fatter and fatter and fatter therapy is wonderful for certain issues, but for an addict, it is pointless if you are not getting off your drug. And we understand that with drugs and alcohol. We get that with drugs and alcohol. 
but we don't understand that with food. And that's why so many people are suffering. Well, I love the connection back. And actually, I'm going to try and screen share again for the feed since technology has just been so ridiculous uh, today. Uh, but right on your main page, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to her, her website. It's uh, jenniferallenbeck.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. But right there, sugar and flour free, maintaining a 75-pound weight loss, clean us over 28 years. I even, I'm intrigued to hear your feedback. I love to use the term nowadays, weight release instead of loss, just because of the psychology behind it. What are your thoughts on that? Because weight loss is obviously more popular, but I like being able to release it, let it go. What do you think? What do you think about that? Oh, I love this question. Well, let me, let me address this. Ooh, okay. I'm an addict. If I picked up tomorrow, I can gain 30 pounds in two weeks. Right. So what am I really releasing? Mm. Release to me feels like it's a forever thing. I've released it and I'm not taking it back. Okay. But when you're dealing with addicts, it's a one day reprieve. We get it one day at a time. We get a reprieve from using mm. if we keep ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually aligned, correct? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I can easily, if I choose to pick up tomorrow, I'm off to the races and it's like I, the past five and a half years, six years haven't happened. This is wild to me right now because, and I, I'm hoping people get, can connect where I'm connected. I just want to pause this because I'm hearing this because I've never been a food addict, right? And and this is important because I need to, I love this because you're, you're dropping terminology that I usually hear people referring to when it comes to drugs. Like if I pick up, if I start using, mm -hmm. and you just don't think about that all the time. And, and that level of impact, it's crazy. Not crazy. It's not crazy. Sorry, I should not throw that word around too easy. So, Food is very innocent, mm -hmm. yet it's accessible and it's acceptable. Okay. Whereas drugs and alcohol and gambling and sex addiction are not. Hmm. Food is everywhere. You can have it at any time. Nobody's going to look at you funny mm -hmm. unless you're truly obese. And then people might pass judgment and give faces. But, you know, let, let's address obesity. You know, I hate when people say, you know, they think that we're lazy or we're just, you know, do you think people want to be overweight? No. It's not sexy. It, we don't feel attractive and it's not really acceptable. And let me tell you, it's really uncomfortable on an airplane. Yeah, but Jennifer, now you got these, there's a few, uh, I forget this woman's feed. She was trying to get, she's actually trying to get to 800 pounds or something she's wild. Do, do you know who Why? I'm talking That's about? I see what this. I see this. I, I see this. I'm like, it's crazy. I'm like, I was like, you're, you are risking your life. And like, but she's doing it, I think, to justify her position. And maybe there's an addictive issue there. And she's just completely skipping past the addiction and just justifying her position. And I'm like, I feel bad. I feel bad. What's her position? Her position is, uh, I'm big and I'm beautiful, and I'm, I'm going to set the record. I want to be the biggest, like, heaviest, whatever. Like, I, I watched a couple of videos. I couldn't keep watching. I'm like, oh, my God, what you're doing to yourself is you're shortening your lifespan. So yeah, I, I wouldn't believe her for a second. It's very I destructive. It. I don't believe it. It's self-destructive, 100%. Yeah. She is harming herself, but she's full of so much anger and rage. Hmm. When you're 800 pounds, you are full of anger and rage. She's just spewing it. She's ready to kill it. She's just, I, I mean, I don't know her, it's, and it's, I, it's very sad to me, but there's a lot of pathology yeah. behind it. And I want to bring that up because obviously that's a, that's a very extreme you know, situation, oh, but, but the pathology behind that, as you just hinted at, it does transcend other weight classes, right? Okay. 
I've talked to people gone through 100 plus pound weight transformations. I've never personally worked with anybody over a 200 pound transformation over the years. So this is like hit or miss here and there, but it, it, there is some of these underlying, I, I guess you can connect on this is that there's some similarities, right? These are things well, in the pathology. Is I, this is what I've learned and from observing and listening and watching the people who are morbidly, morbidly obese, 300, 400, 500, 600 pounds, like my 600 pound life. Mm-hmm. Notice one thing in common, and people are not going to like me when I say this, but it's my, it's what I believe, and you can just you don't have to agree with me. Sure. But there is emotional maturity level, their EQ, not their IQ. Mm. We're talking about some of them are very intelligent. We're talking about EQ here, emotional maturity that they lack, mm. and because they don't have it, or they have low level scores there. They can't handle and cope with life and they're very sensitive and they take things too personally and they just can't handle it, that they eat and they continue to eat and they continue to eat. And most people also in those large sizes are very well enabled. Mm -hmm. I I mean, if you're bedridden and you're getting larger and you're not losing any weight, you are enable, you've got plenty of good enablers around you. And even nowadays, you don't need them because everybody delivers and you can pay everything by credit card. You can run up credit cards, thousands of dollars. Well, speaking of enabling and that emotional intelligence, and again, I might upset people too. Uh, I'm an outdoors nut. I don't mm-hmm. sit and play video games you know, 12 plus hours a day. I And I'm not granted, gamers are not all obese. All right, right. There's, there's very lean uh, gamers too, uh, or healthy ish gamers again stretching on the healthy ish because it's like well and again i get now people are justifying because you can make millions of dollars being a top gamer in the world but i was like okay the human brain your vision the health of your eyes this life in general was never meant to be stuck behind a computer screen or a tv screen 12 plus hours out of your day and you can put all the money that you win behind that and justify it all you want i'm sorry i take a different position and when i i've actually observed certain gamers do have an obesity epidemic in that genre right there too. And it's like, well, guys, think about it. I don't want to leave my computer because I feel good by escaping the real world and sticking in my digital fake world. So what do I do? I start ordering takeout or I'm 25 years old, living at home, my mommy and daddy, and they're going to bring me down takeout or prepared food just to keep me happy. So back to that keyword of enabling. Again, this isn't everyone. But it does frustrate me when I see a lack of support or a, a, a plethora of enabling people just allowing this to happen. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I know working with addicts and their families, I mean, the families don't know what to do. Okay. And they feel like they have to do it, that they don't have a choice, that their, their, their child will get mad at them or they won't love them anymore. I mean, oh. you know, it's a fa- addiction is a family disease. It's not just the addict who suffers. Hmm. Everyone around them suffers and everyone around them has some illness. Was this and- in your family too then, obviously, with what you went oh, through? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, can, can we personally connect on that? Because I think that would really help, not just me, but obviously our listeners, because it's like, well, listen, you clearly bring a backstory into this. I think people need to understand what you bring to the table. Yeah, I was raised by an alcoholic mom. Okay. And she didn't get clean and sober till I was 12. Okay. So uh, there was definitely, and I found food early because I think there was a sense of lack of security in my life. There was a lack mm. of sureness that children need. Yeah. You know? And I found food and food comforted me and 
That's interesting. I mean, obviously, yeah, you're lacking a full. I don't. I don't want to call it yeah, a full hundred percent mom. I guess right. Like there's there was she was distracted with with her addiction. But it was also a lot of shame too because she was the block drunk, mm. and everybody knew that she was the drunk. So there was a lot of shame about you know. For instance, you know the parents. You know, I lived in one of those neighborhoods with 3.2 kids in every house. And we cookie lived cutter. at a house on the water. It was cookie cutter. They just built the homes in this neighborhood. It was beautiful. It was upper middle class. You know, from the outside, it would all look gorgeous. Sure. But from the inside. And we were one of those. My parents split when 1972, 73. So that divorce was like unheard of at this time. It wasn't common. And so people knew that there was drama going on in my family. They knew that my mother was an alcoholic. So for instance, I would walk to school while all the carpool moms would pass me hmm. because they weren't going to ask my mother to drive. And it was kind of like, you know, just kind of stay away. And it, it was hard. And I think taking on that shame, you know, I learned at a young age to pretend that I was okay and food helped with that. So that was a social a social impact to you as well, right? Because you're, you you, you observed how other moms reacted. It impacts everything. It really is damaging to a child. I got to pause real quick. What part of New York? Oh, Long Island. I was, just, I, was, I, was like, I was like, I wanted to say it. I'm like, she sounds like a Long Islander. I mean, yeah, and you live in Florida now, so you love the water. I'm like, come on, got to be a Long Island girl. All Born right. and raised on the water. I Born can't and- stay. I, I live only an hour and a half from New York City in Allentown, Pennsylvania, an hour north of Philly. So it's just getting out there. Once you're out there, it's beautiful. But Oh my God. Dealing with the traffic, the bridges, the, uh, it's, uh, yeah. but I, I spent years coaching ski racing and a lot of the kids, half the kids that I coached in the Poconos, their parents lived oh, out yeah, in Long Island. New York. Yeah. yeah. And they would have a, a mountain house uh, for the ski season. So yeah. just, I, I just think yeah. it was cool. I was like, house in the Adirondacks. this whole time listening to you, I'm like, that's gotta be Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> But you can take the girl out of New York, but you can't take the New York out of the girl. But but look at Long Island. Okay, now not all parts of Long Island are upper middle class or or, or even upper class, but there is a I've observed a big comparison factor going on out there. Right? There's a I don't want to say keep it up with the Joneses, but it sounds like maybe some of that was going on in your neighborhood as a kid. I don't know. Back in the seventies, was that a common thread? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't oh, that's think. Good. Where, you know, I was probably too young, but when I went to junior high, I lived in um, a certain part, a very, very extremely wealthy part of Long Island. Okay. And I've always been raised among the 1%. Um, but I have to say, when we were raised as kids, we didn't have that sense of entitlement that kids have today. Good. It was a different time and it was it was old money yeah. and the difference with old money and new money. So it, it's just different the way kids are being raised today. Okay. Well, so that's interesting. So you can connect a different childhood to the, obviously the modern era childhood. So, but so what are the common threads? Because you got to hint to that a few of them, patholo- pathology wise. What are the common threads that do still exist, whether it be from the seventies, the eighties, and nineties, or today, when it comes to childhood obesity impact to this addiction factor? Right? What are you seeing? Obviously, you already hinted the motherhood, the, the parenting factor, right, is a big component. Well, parenting's completely changed. From the 1970s to 2000 and almost 20, yeah. we have two parents working. Most parents, I mean, we have a 50% divorce rate. So your kids are being raised in a one-parent household. The parents working too late. There's no longer dinners on the table. Now, speaking of kids, um, parents wanting the best for their kids and, and putting them in all activities, every night they're out. I mean, it is a totally different world. And we, you know, when I was growing up, going out to dinner was a treat. 
we did not go out every night. We went out maybe. I mean, I don't remember going out to dinner all the time. My mother was great with like cooking at home and having well-balanced meals. She was yeah. big about that. So nowadays, the thought of cooking at home is the rarity. It's everybody goes out to eat or they order in. They're not cooking home-cooked meals. It's completely different. Well, so nutritionally, also, nutritionally, that's an issue. What's going on in the schools? I mean, the oh. food, my, my kids, they're in, uh, I have one in junior high, one just started high school, one's in college. The teachers use food now to reward all the time. They're giving out candy. When I was in Mommy and Me with my middle one, she never had any, I kept her off sugar. Mm -hmm. She was almost two years old and she had never had sugar. I was feeding her healthy. And we went and one of the parents brought in to celebrate her two-year-old child's birthday, cupcakes for the whole class. And I was really upset. Not at the mom. I know she wants to celebrate, but I said to the school, why are you allowing this? Why do the kids need sugar at such a young age? Right. This is what's going on. People think it's okay and it's acceptable and, oh, it's just a cupcake. But you have no idea how much kids are eating all day long sugar yeah. from their breakfast to their lunches and they're swapping snacks with kids. Yeah. And then dinner at home, they're getting dessert or an after-dinner snack. Oh, yeah. You throw them uh, oatmeal covered in bananas and, and maybe a dash of honey. Then you take them to the school and then the school's probably serving you processed pizza don't forget, don't forget the desserts. And then they got the chocolate milk and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it, it's just, you're on this sugar train, or as I like to now call it, the sugar roller coaster, because that's physically, that's what you're doing. We hinted at this before we started the show. You're, you're sending, scientifically, you're sending these kids through this hormonal ride. And the kids are already on a hormonal ride because they're, the, they're maturing and they're growing and their bodies are, are trying to figure themselves out. So you've already got a hormonal ride, and then you're going to go and toss a ton of sugar on that, on that mess. It, it's just... Not good for kids at all. And then when I went to school, you know, I grew up on a farm. So when I went to school, you could get whole milk. But mm -hmm. then thanks to our sad diet, the standard American diet and the misrepresentation of education and the push of grains instead of healthy fats, they stripped all the healthy fat out because they thought they were doing something right. And then you could give kids skim milk. Well, then you strip all the fat out of the milk and now you left behind lactose. Lactose is a sugar. So now whatever sh processed sugar crap the cafeteria just fed them, now you wash it down with literally a white sugar. Well, it's actually like gray. I wouldn't call it white. <laughs> gray milk sugar bomb. Like all of these things. And it's like, oh, my God, the roller coaster that we got to be sending these kids through nowadays is off the charts. It's, it's really off the charts, and that's why we have child obesity on a very scary incline. And very ki scary. kids are now being born diabetic. Born diabetic. Well, that, that, you know, this is the thing I love that there's a person who lives in my area and she's big on educating the kids. And I think that's wonderful, but I think it's futile because a child does not go food shopping. The child does not make their meals. You must, as a parent, you have to take that responsibility. And, and I'm not knocking parents. I believe every mother wants the best for their child and they're doing the best that they can. And, you know, they really, we're, we're uneducated and we, it takes too, it's too hard and too much work to feed healthy. Sure. For instance, even a thing of yogurt for the kids has as much sugar as a can of Coke. Yeah. And parents aren't, you know, they're, they think they're doing something right. Healthy. So they're trying really, they're trying, but it's just not enough. And I think we're at the point right now where government, because it's such an epidemic and it's causing billions of dollars in healthcare and it's really affecting our economy. They are going to have to get involved at some level with, you know, they've already started 
you know, taxing on sugary things and things like that, you know, the sodas. And I think it's just going to increase if something's not done. But I think the train has left the station. Too many people are addicted. We're not going to go backwards. But I think... I, it's going to take a long time. We just, just we just released a documentary film to try and make our impact. Uh, well, Vinny Tortorich did. I just ran all the marketing. But uh, Fat, a documentary, is out. The truth behind healthy fats and the truth going back 150 years in that film. So that's just his one of his lifelong goals is just leave something behind to try and help turn the tables uh, uh, behind everything you're talking about. Like help people understand why it got this bad. And to help with, help with that reap. We're not going to go backwards. We have to redirect the 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 rail the, the rail car so to speak like change switch the tracks people we can't the, the the train's going so fast out of that station as you just hinted at you're not going to make it put it in reverse so if what if we can build a redirected track get it back onto a, the proper track it's going to take time you know yeah. but, but for now that's nutrition right back to your point you know addiction something i wanted to share that i loved on your site uh, because Technical issue aside, we are coming to the end of our time slot, and I want to make sure I share this because I love this. I've never read all these. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, back on her site, jenniferallenbeck.com, Alenbeck, she's got right at the top, what is a food addict? And you got a video and everything too, but for here, I just wanted to hit these bullet points. Um, See if you can identify with the following statements. I'm just going to read a couple that stood out to me. You've dug food out of the garbage. Wow. Okay. Never thought about that one. Um, I hear this one a lot. You hide your food. That that I've heard. Um, you eat in isolation. Interesting. Uh, you've you've and I've heard of this. Obviously, you've used vomiting, exercising, laxatives, et cetera, to get rid of the binge. Uh, I've never thought about this one. You eat to numb out, and I, I want you to just hit on a few of these. But then uh, you frequently feel guilty or ashamed about what you've eaten. So there's many more good points in here, but those are just ones that stood out to me when I went through your site. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, like you said, wow, I never heard dug out of food, but that's what food addicts do. We will go out and we'll get massive amounts of food and we'll binge. And then we will swear off food as when the, when we're done with the binge, we swear off food We're we're physically in pain. We say, we're never going to do this again. And we get rid of whatever's left. And then two hours later, maybe the next morning, maybe five minutes later, we are digging back in the garbage for the stuff because we're addicts. We have to have it. I've sat in the car crying and binging. I don't want to be there. I wanted to lose weight more than anything. I just didn't know how. And, and I would like to say, you know, I went to doctors. Doctors never had a problem telling me that I was overweight, that I needed to lose weight. Hmm. But nobody ever told me that I had an addiction to sugar and flour, and that if I put them down, I might find freedom. That's pretty powerful. Uh, and Because I've, I've hinted at this many, many times, but I never took it to, I think we casually, you've hinted at this a few times throughout the show. Many of us had throw around the, the addicted word more casually. And I think you've done a great job today, for, at least for me anyway, really helping us understand that no, there's a whole different level if we're talking about true addiction, you know, just saying, Oh, I, I can't, I can never, cause I get, I get that all the time. I could never give up bread. That doesn't mean you're addicted. That just means you're in a short term change up and give me, give me two weeks. I'll break that. You know, obviously it'll take longer, but the two week is usually the initial brain thing, the, the headaches, all that. And then once you're past that two, three week transition, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wait a minute, there might be something to this. That's all I need. But right. 
to your point, that's not addiction. <laughs> that's a, that might be a quick physical addiction, but we haven't gone to that deep, deep dive into the mental, into the psychological, which is what you've helped us understand today. It's pretty powerful. Good. So I ask my guest co-host to help us close the shows out. Some final words, all-encompassing, big message, or just, hey, if they forget everything else we discussed today, like what is it about Jennifer, you, that you want our audience to kind of take away from today? Obviously, they can go. We'll have everything linked in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. You can go check her out. Uh, if, if you know somebody who is struggling, you know, please reach out to somebody, even if it's not her. Uh, just get help. It's okay. Uh, but what would you like to leave us behind with? Yeah. My biggest message and why I do what I do is because I see so many people suffering and they don't know what's wrong with them. They, th- they can't understand why they can't lose the weight. They keep gaining it back and the diets don't work, but they really don't know what's wrong with them. And I'm here to say that there is hope and there is a solution and I can help you. You know, we, do, we just address, we, we throw diets at people and we throw science at people, but we're not talking that it's, uh, it's all encompassing. There's so much more than just the food, but it starts there. It starts there. I do love this. I mean, I, I, my, not at your level, I usually just say, Hey guys, you know, uh, the muscle, the, the, the fat loss, the weight loss, the release, whatever words you want to toss out there, it doesn't happen in the gym. It happens in the kitchen. And I love what we learned today here is that, okay, for even at the addiction level, it's still going to start in the kitchen, okay? Mm-hmm. Then that allows you know people like you to help people get to the next phase, which is, okay, now let's dig into this much deeper dive into the mental game, the psychology behind it. Well, it's, the deeper dive is how do I live without using food? Because it's so accessible, it's it's everywhere, yeah. you know. And everybody wants to go to dinner, and everybody wants to go to lunch, and that's how we celebrate. Whether we're at a funeral or a wedding, we're eating. Doesn't matter. So, how do you get through those times in your life, and without abusing yourself with food, without setting yourself up? You've got to learn how to take care of yourself, and it starts with personal responsibility. You must. I mean, I am not a fan of these places where they deliver your meals. How does that make the individual responsible? Not at all. I, I, I love that. The, the new thing is Grubhub. You know, I can hop on an app and have all these delivery people bring me stuff. Okay. Yeah, well. but they have the healthy meals they're dealing, you know, yeah. like we're going to, we're going to set you up and we're going to send you the really healthy meals, but. Oh yeah. The auto shipping. Yes. Term. You know, it's short term. It's, it's another diet. It's another skim because the person hasn't taken responsibility for their own actions. I do love that. Ooh. You got to be a big girl, put your big girl pants on and start living. I'm taking a note of that. We might use that in the keywords for your show title, personal <laughs> responsibility. That. Yes. Cause I mean, we can hit on that. <laughs> that applies to so many domains in life. Um, yeah. but that's something big for the food addiction component. I do like that. That, that is so important. We, a lot of us are afraid or not willing to take responsibility and it does have to start with us. Any, any legitimate sustainable lifestyle change, no one else is going to do it for you. Even you, right. you're here to help people. You're a tool, you're a resource, you're a coach, that's right. but if I was working with you, you would probably tell me, Scott, until you're ready to step up and take responsibility, I can't help you. Exactly right. And that's why, you know, when I, when somebody calls me, I go through a rigorous thing and I can tell if somebody's not ready or not. And and I'll say, I don't think you're ready, you know, and unless they're desperate and really ready to do the work, put down the food, take the time, 
to, to take care of themselves and do what's required, I, I can't help you. Yeah. I don't have a magic pill and there is no magic pill and nobody's going to come and save you. No. And actually, I like what you just hinted at here because something that came up a lot in the past year, a tagline I've been using now is just whether we're talking about health, business or lifestyle, we're just all at a different place on the timeline. So that's okay. It's the sooner you know that you're not ready, like you can help them understand that. Like, listen, I'll be here when you're ready, but you're clearly not. I can't help you yet. I think that's important. People hearing this right now is like, guys, don't feel lost, right? You're just not ready yet. Like, you really got to step up and own it. And then maybe you're ready or you're just earlier on the timeline yet. And you just still need to get through a few more struggles and maybe pain points until you're finally pushed to the edge. And you're like, all right, man, now I got to get this done. You got to be, you got to be at a bottom. You have to have, everybody's pain threshold is different, but you've got to know when you hit it and you're like, I am done. Like when I was ready, I was done. There wasn't enough. I had eaten every food more than a thousand times. I was so done because I just couldn't take the pain anymore. The mental, the mental insanity and the, and the physical uncomfortableness. I just was done. I was like, you know, I'm 45, I'm halfway through my life. I'm not willing to continue to live this way anymore. And I had three young girls and I have to be their role model. And you get one shot at life, just one. Well said, actually. More great final words. I love that too. We do all get one shot at life, ladies and gentlemen. So Jennifer, thank you again. Hang tight. I want to give you a proper goodbye off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, that's jenniferalembic.com. Okay. Amazing story. I love what you're doing. Thank you again for some amazing multiple rounds of final words, by the way, for you listeners. We'll make sure those are documented and put in the show notes as well at leatherfield.com. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. We heavily dug into healthy lifestyle and mindset today. So I absolutely love today's show. I hope you did too. Uh, Make sure you share, tweet, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you got to do to reach out and share this with other people because there are people out there needing the help. And that's one thing that we can personally take accountability and responsibility for is when you hear something good and you hear something that's helpful, please share it. So thanks for tuning in to another Live the Fuel show. Remember, you too can live the fuel. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.